Welcome to the Emily Alexina podcast, a space where we talk truths, beauty, medicine, and healing on all levels. Hi, everyone. Welcome back. Emily here, and I'm so excited to be sharing another episode with you. This one today is gem-packed full of information, of stories, and even of juicy descriptions of yummy foods. <laughs> and even us, currently, I'm not eating too much red meat, a little bit of elk or bison here and there, but the way Yehuda talks about the beef and the steaks, it just makes your mouth water. So in this episode, we will be uh, talking with Yehuda Goldberg, who is the owner of Brother's Butcher Shop in Vaughan. Yehuda is a chef and butcher and named his store after his two sons, Jacob and Ari. Brother's Butcher Shop is proud to sell local Ontario 100% grass-fed raw meats, poultry, and wild and organic fish. Now, I'm, I've been wanting to share this episode for a long time because as someone who is passionate about food and especially where our food comes from, finding Yehuda and his shop was nothing short of a miracle. And now that we have moved to Collingwood and I am looking to source good quality dairy and meat when we need it, I'm realizing how hard it is to find. And so I really appreciate the work that Yehuda does and his passion for the animals and for providing clean meats to his community. So in this episode today, we will talk a little bit about Yehuda's story, his experience in chef school and working in Europe. We will talk about some of the secrets of the meat industry, including labels that are confusing to the customer and honestly, often just make the same product more expensive. Uh, we talk about bison meat and how um, he was sometimes tricked into receiving the wrong kinds and how important it is to really dig deep and find out where exactly our meats are coming from, even when it is labeled a certain way. There's always more to the story. We talk about having respect for the animal, having respect for nature and for the farmers. And honestly, when I first met Yehuda, uh, I was vegan, <laughs> but I was, I was uh, kind of a year postpartum and struggling on my vegan diet and just finding that I wasn't getting the nourishment that I needed. And this is something I will share in another episode. I know I have to do it. <laughs> Um, sometimes I think in my head it's such a long story and I can't get it into an episode, but really I can. And it's coming out to you guys. But this is how I discovered Yehuda. I felt like I needed to go back to some dairy, perhaps go back to some meat or some broths. And I wouldn't have gone back to these products had it not been for Yehuda who could swear to me that he had checked on the farms, that these animals were truly living outside on pastures. Um, and I even found out through recording this episode that some of the farmers he buys from allow the animals to reproduce naturally with a bull going in a field with the cows and letting nature take its course. Um, this was one thing that I just felt so badly about uh, f knowing that most cows in conventional um, meat production are basically raped and inseminated with semen that was taken from a bull. And this just seems so wrong to me. Uh, same goes for the dairy industry where they have to remove the calves from the milking mother to uh, get the milk from her. Um, but as we learn in the episode here, uh, the dairy that Yehuda gets that he sources from a local farm in Ontario from Sheldon Creek Farms, they allow their calves to be with their mothers for a longer amount of time than most uh, dairy farms. And I will be looking to talk to Sheldon Creek and get more uh, information and stories from them and possibly have them on the podcast as well. If you have any questions about this episode, comments, please feel free to message me uh, on Instagram is the best way. 
at This Raw Mom Life. And if you could, please uh, leave a rating, rate this podcast episode and leave a comment on iTunes. It would really help to get this information out to more people. Also, don't hesitate to share this episode with your family and friends because the information here is so, so important. Okay, I hope you enjoy and let's get to it. Welcome, Yehuda. So excited to have you here today. Um, I'm interested in hearing a background a little bit, how you came into being a butcher and, um, and your passion for good quality meat. I'm sure that will all go together. It all goes together. Yes. It all goes together. So I'll tell you. So this is what we do. Um, what I do differently is that I'm actually a, I'm actually a graduate of George Brown College. Um, chef school back in uh, 2007 I actually got my um, I got my red seal back in uh, 2008 I believe if I remember correctly it's been a while Mm -hmm. I worked in Europe uh, France Italy Germany I traveled Europe cooking and I wanted to do something different when I came back I went to actually work in restaurants um, where I was executive chef eventually opening my own business and the way I got into the meat industry and really changed my life is after after I actually sold my uh, my previous company. So I used to own a food manufacturing company. Okay. Uh, I sold it. Yeah, I sold it. When I was 29 years old and opened uh, the the butcher shop on my 30th birthday. Amazing. <laughs> so a very very different. I'll tell you that much. So what we do is essentially is um, when I first started the butcher shop, I, I wanted to be different and I knew, you know, eating healthy was important and I saw the way trends were going, but I wanted to do something that I believed in and I wanted to start by doing uh, hormone antibiotic free meat and because I didn't really fully understand the organic side as much at the, po- at the time. Right. So I decided to go just more hormone antibiotic free. Um, and um, about two months into being open, I had hormone back free and I had regular meat. And it always bothered me because, you know, uh, like you can't really tell the difference between hormone antibiotic free meat and not hormone antibiotic free meat. If you look at it straight up, you can't tell. The only way you can tell is, um, is when they give the, is when the inspectors check the animal um, after slaughter, they're checking for needle uh, points in the neck. Uh, medication is administered. Okay. Um, but you, you can't really tell if something's hormone antibiotic free or not. So you can't um, tell in the taste either. You cannot tell. You you can't really tell in the taste. No. It's more. Uh, I, I find that hormone antibiotic free is more of an ethical thing than anything else. Right. Um. And uh, yeah, so I so I, I, I like it was funny because the uh, the driver for the company that was delivering the meat, he actually said to me, he "says Do you know if something's hormone antibiotic free or not?" So I said, I have to trust you. He says, well, I'll tell you, we haven't had anything raised without the horm- without hormones and antibiotics in years. What we do is we wean the animals off of medication. And that really bothered me, but it also opened my eyes to what it really, what real hormone antibiotic free meant. And I, I, I like, like I say to you all the time when I see you, it's like just I apologize for going off in a tangent because it gets me very uh, riled up and very, uh, you know, I get very into it, very passionate about it because it really taught me a lot about what the industry was like. And I was like, well, I, I can't do this. This is me. At this point, I feel like I'm lying to my, to my customers because right. I thought that, you know, with something that's hormone antibiotic free, it means that there's no, that it's raised without hormones and antibiotics. So and even I was you in, thought when you were starting out as a butcher, you didn't even know. Correct. Correct. And, the, and all that time working in the restaurants, did they even care to look into this at all? Restaurants don't care for the most part, simply because it's about the, the bottom dollar. It's yeah. about buying something for the least amount of money and selling it for the most, most. while still being cheaper than the, next, than the restaurant next door. So people come, shop, uh, come sit at your place. Yes, Right. So unfortunately, that's how the restaurant industry works. But it, like as a butcher, just like as a, as a business owner, it really it really bothered me. Uh, and it, like it was really frustrating to see that, that the game of weaning animals off was a real game. And when you look in the grocery store, there's some big brands 
that I didn't realize it didn't click until then was the line of free from means the same thing. It's, it's basically they've weaned it off of medication. But the thing is, that's the law. The law says that for cattle, it's, I believe, 15 days. And for poultry, it's 72 hours. Has to be weaned off of medication. Cannot have any medication in its system. But that doesn't mean anything because the law is anyway. So it's basically, it's a marketing ploy to, yeah. cons- to trick the consumer into thinking they're getting something better. So these labels haven't don't really change anything that they were doing like five years ago versus now when these labels are are big and popular the label it's funny that you ask that because now the labels are even more confusing to consumers Mm. i've been open almost four years and the labels that i see now are they're so ridiculous they're absolutely so confusing and they're meant to confuse the consumer. So they're, they're, they put a lot of uh, places put lines like all natural, farm raised, uh, or they'll say pasture raised. Yeah, well, every, like, every animal is born on pasture, and then it goes to a feedlot, right, to become part of the mainstream food chain. When you say, but the consumer thinks that they're getting something better, something that was treated better, something that lived a better life, when in reality it hasn't, right? And that's what really bothers, like that's what bothered me then, and it still bothers me to this day. And I'll tell you, after I, after I, when I, when I heard that, I actually spoke to the owner, and the owner, like he honestly vehemently denied it, and uh, I just said to him, "Can you send me proof?" He says, "No, you just have to trust me." Right. And I, I didn't buy from him again. Um, I went to I, I went after that to the Mennonite community because everyone was saying that they were better and you know it's the old school way of farming and the old school way of doing things and these guys don't lie and anything like that. Um, and for a couple of months things were good, but then I started having problems and I started questioning things. And and then one day, um, Jeff Arnold from Phoenix and Arnold walked into my store. I remember it was a Monday. I was actually running out. Um, I had to go somewhere and my wife was picking me up and uh, Jeff comes in at like, it was like like four four forty five, and I was leaving at five and he says to me, listen, you don't know who I am, but I'm a local farmer. I only do hundred percent grass fed. It's all raised with no pesticides. There's nothing sprayed on the grass. It's natural grass. And they're never given any medication there. You know, if there's ever a problem, we do as much, you know, natural things as possible to help the animals uh, recover we don't do we don't do the medication and or anything like that, and they're raised without any hormones. So I said to him, um, "Okay." He, he actually brought me a a rib steak. Um, he says to me, "Don't judge me by this rib steak because it's been sitting in the bottom of my freezer for about two years." Okay. But I wanted to bring you a sample at least for you to try. So I said to him, "Okay, fine." I uh, I thought it out. It was frozen. I thought it out. I had a, actually had it for dinner that night. And it was one of the best steaks I've ever had. And I called him up. I said, listen, I said, Jeff, you know, that steak was really good. Like it was a really good steak. He's like, trust me, it's just going to get better with time. I'm trying to build my herd and I need, and I need a you know, good butcher shop to deal with. Hmm. And I said to him, listen, you know, grass fed me from what I understood was very expensive. This is what I was told. Every time I tried talking to, to the Mennonites about grass fed, they'd say, oh, it's too expensive, too expensive. And they would push me to the grain finished. But they would say to me, call it grass-fed, but finished on grain. Right. Which at the time, again, I didn't, under, I didn't understand that. It was until Jeff walked into my store and we were talking. Um, and I said to him, listen, I'll, I'll try. I'll try your stuff. Um, and when I tried it, I absolutely loved it. And I said to him, um, I said, this is, this is honestly, it's amazing. Let's talk price. So we, he says, listen, this is what the price is. We negotiate a price. And he said, but I don't want you to pay me for 30 days. I'm going to slaughter it. We're going to hang it for two weeks. I'll bring it to you. You'll butcher it and sell it. If after 30 days you sell it, you'll pay me for it. Okay. If you don't sell it, you'll just pay me for what you call it. We'll call it a day. And I thought to myself, okay, fine. I hadn't checked this guy out, but the stuff looked good. What I saw online was good. Um, so I, I literally brought, I brought a cow in August three years ago. So it's been actually a full, almost three years we slaughtered it in the middle of August uh, three years ago. And uh, I brought it in, had it in the beginning of September, and it was sold within one week. The entire animal was sold. And 
he said to me, what did you do? I said, you know, I thought about it because I'm having problems with the guys that I'm dealing with now. So I thought about it. I said, what if I only charged $1 a pound more than what I currently sell the regular stuff at? I want to make, make this affordable. I want to make this food affordable to people. Mm-hmm. If I take a bit of a hit, so it's not going to be, I'm not going to make as much money on the animal as like we see, you know, if you were to see grass fed out, like out in the marketplace or out in other butcher shops, especially downtown. But let me see if I can see if I can, if I can sell this, this animal for almost the same price and still turn a profit, let's do it. And every, every customer that walked in, I said, listen, I've got regular and I've got grass fed. 100% grass fed. It comes from this farm. This is the story behind it because I can actually prove it. Mm-hmm. And it's going to cost you $1 a pound more than what you're used to paying here. And within a month, nobody wanted the regular stuff anymore. And people are saying this stuff is, it, it tastes better, it's healthier, it's cleaner, and it's marginally more expensive. So I wouldn't really call it more expensive. Right. So um, the butcher. Um, our local butcher here told me that the grass-fed meat did not taste as good and that the animals that were finished on grain and on corn, uh, this went for beef and lamb and even poultry, I think. Well, they eat the grains anyway, but it was the lamb, I think, and then the beef too, that when they were finished on the grain, that they tasted better. And so people did not buy the grass-fed meat that he had. It's a massive misconception. It's a massive misconception. Here's the thing. An animal is not meant to eat grain and corn. The stomach of an animal does not digest it properly. Right. So what happens is it turns it into fat. Right. The problem is the animal gets sick because it's it's not digesting this stuff and it's making it sick. So what's happening is people think that the more fat there is, the better it tastes, mm-hmm. which isn't true because if you were to put up one of my grass fed steaks against a corn fed steak with no seasoning, I'm willing to bet that my steak tastes better. I don't season my meat when I cook at home. When I eat, when I'm butchering a, a, a cow and I'm, and I'm cooking it, even at work for like lunch or something like that, I don't season it. Because there's so much flavor from the grass, from the, from the clover, from the div. There's, there's so many kinds of natural growing grasses here in Ontario. The animals are eating, and it's, it's absolutely amazing that, that, that you're actually tasting. Think of it like you're drinking a bottle of wine and you're tasting the terroir. You're tasting mm-hmm. what the earth tastes like. And it's amazing how good it actually tastes. I guess you have to develop the palate for it sometimes. <laughs> if people you know what, are I'm used give to you a certain an thing. I'm going to give you an analogy. Um, <laughs> to a ve- to a ve- uh, for a vegan or a vegetarian dish. When I was living in Italy, I was staying on a farm in Montepulciano in, in Tuscany, in the countryside. And I was working for free in exchange for room and board. Mm-hmm. And this woman that I was staying with, uh, she owned the farm. And the first night she picks up from the train station and she says to me, Oh, you're a chef you know, from Canada. I want you to make me something to eat. <laughs> I said, okay, what do you want? So she gives me a whole about pasta and a salad. No problem. Her mother who was living there. Probably, it was probably 80, 90 years old. It was had to have been about 90. Next time here, I'll show you the Facebook pictures that I have from then. Um, and, uh, and I make a salad and she takes one bite and she spits it out and says, this is disgusting. <laughs> and I said, what do you mean? It's your lettuce. It's your olive oil. It's your vinegar. What, like, what did I do wrong? And she says to me, I planted the lettuce. I cut four kinds of lettuce here. I took care of the olives. We made olive oil. We, made, we grew our own grapes. We made our own vinegar. She says, why did you put so much vinegar and oil on the salad that I can't taste the lettuce? <laughs> exactly. Right? Yeah. yeah. Lettuce has its own flavor. Every grass has its own flavor. And when the cow eats it, you can taste it in the grass. Mm-hmm. It's like when you're drinking a bottle of wine, you're having a, you know, you're having certain grape varieties grow better in, in, uh, in clay or in limestone. 
There's a reason why Ontario wines taste so much like uh, French wines because our we're on the same we're on the same uh, part of the world in as Alsace. Ontario is the same as same uh, same part as Alsace mm-hmm. in France. So it's all about the earth. Corn is not meant to be a cows don't eat corn. They don't eat soy. It makes the cow sick. It waters down the animal. It may it may yes it gives it a lot of fat, which yes has its properties of making it more. I'm not going to say tender, but it makes it more uh, more forgiving when you're cooking it. So you do have okay. to cook grass fed differently, okay. very differently. But the flavor is leaps and bounds ahead. I think you're just water. You're literally when you eat corn, a corn fed cow or grain fed cow, you're literally just watering it down. And it's funny. People say to me, "Yeah, all the time." They say, "Oh, well, I, I'm I'm so used to eating corn fed and it tastes so good." And I say, "And do you ever eat the steak?" On its own, on its with own. On it. mm-hmm. and they say no. I put uh, I put a barbecue sauce on it. I put a yeah. chimichurri sauce, an Asian <laughs> sauce. Uh, one of the steak spices, one of the big restaurants. And I'm like, so you didn't eat the steak? You tasted the spice mix, or you tasted the yeah, sauce? You ate the sauce. <laughs> yeah, that's not you know that's not what you're supposed to do. You're supposed yeah. to cook the steak. And it's funny. My tell people, I say is, cook the steak with nothing on it. Take it off the barbecue, take it out of the pan, out of the oven, let it rest for a few minutes, five, 10 minutes, and then cut it French style. Eat a piece so you know how it tastes. And then if you want to, right. season it with a little bit of kosher salt or a, sea, or a coarse sea salt. Because mm-hmm. then the sea salt will open the, the pores in the back of your tongue and allow you to, uh, and allow you to, um, to taste the meat. Get a bit more flavor, yeah. Yeah. But that's it. That's it. Wow. So, well, yeah. So we recently uh, got a, a farm share, like a basket of veggies weekly from a farmer. And mm-hmm. the first time we got his green veggies, it was like that. It was like, I don't need to put anything on this. It was picked the day before and it was so fresh. And it was like, we're just going to eat this like this. I mean, all my kids, we just ate it. Exactly. Just, just the leaves because they were so good, so fresh. And that's, uh, and that's exactly it. There's nothing like it. There's no, no taste like it. No. And we've lost that capacity, I think, as humans to be connected to our taste buds, to know the quality of the food we're eating. And that's the problem when point. you're getting things, when, when things are being picked, you know, two weeks before they're ripe and ripened on the truck on the way over from another country. Yeah. It, there's that disconnect from our food source is ridiculous. Like, like, you know, it's funny. I, I post I post things on my on my on my Instagram page about different stories and that that, I, that happen for, at, at the butcher shop, different conversations I have, and some of the stuff that people say it just it boggles my mind. And I and I'm not putting these stories on to ridicule or make fun. I'm putting it to educate people. There's a farmer behind it. There's mm-hmm. a there's there's a person there's a person that that that, that took the time to raise the animal. If I can share with you one one lesson, there's, there's there's a few lessons I learned from some chefs that I worked for, but there's a very big lesson I learned from a chef when I was working in Strasbourg, in uh, in in Alsace in France. There's a, a cheese called monster cheese. Not I was like hoping the, you would share this story. I was going to ask yeah, you to so, take it out. <laughs> yeah, so so it's like it's not like the I told you the story. It's true. It not not it's not the monster like we think of here in North America, but it's a soft a soft rind. It's it's aged in a cave and it's it's uh, it's it's rubbed down. It's red on the outside. It's beautiful, delicious tasting cheese. It's a soft cheese. Think of think of a camembert or brie on steroids. It's that good. And I love camembert and and, That's my and favorite. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah, I love them. You got to try by the way, San Felicien cheese. It's by far the best cheese, this best soft cheese in the world. It's called San Felicien. I think you can only get it downtown Toronto. And yeah. In, Anyway, so the um, so I'm working on the line, and uh, this cheese was considered dessert in Alsace. So what they do is actually they serve it for dessert with a white wine, and it's toasted cumin seeds, and you and it's it's a soft cheese. And all you do is you you basically spread it on a baguette with the cumin seeds, and you drink wine with it. Um, and the interesting thing is, so that, so I said to the chef, I said I, I put up a, a platter of cheese, and this, the cheese is firm, and he says to me, "Why is it firm? It's supposed to be soft." I said, but I put it in the fridge because I can't cut it properly to make a nice presentation. 
And he says to me, did the cheese tell you to do that? And I laughed. I was like, what are you, what, what's that supposed to mean? And he says to me, the cheese is a soft cheese. It's not meant to go in the fridge. It's supposed to be a relaxing cheese. When you leave it on the counter, you see it relax. You see it mm-hmm. just be that way. You put it in the fridge. You're ruining the cheese. I apologized, took the cheese out of the, the you know, the cheese out of the fridge. Um, and I left it there. The, you know, the, the customer ended up having to wait a few minutes while I, while I did it. But I learned a very important lesson. And the chef said, remember, as the cook, as the butcher, as the chef, as the person cooking at home, we're just a messenger to bring the product from the farmer to our table for everyone to enjoy. And here's the word I won't use over here, but he basically said, don't mess with it. Respect right. where the food came from. Right. He's like, respect that you have to respect the food. You have to respect the farmer. The farmer took the time. And I didn't realize that what it really meant until I worked in Italy and I was working on a, I was working on, I worked on two farms, one in Montepulciano and one, one in Perugia, where when you harvest the land, when you have to, when you have to work the land, you get this whole other appreciation for what you're putting in your mouth because you see how hard it is to plant, to water, to pick, to then, you know, to, to, you know, to harvest the, the fruits from the trees and to prune them properly for the next year and mm-hmm. to get, take all those olives to the middle of town where there's only one press in the town to make olive oil. And you book your time in and you wait and you get it done and then you take it back and you bottle it. There's so much, there's so much work. It's like when I tell people, when they say to me, oh, why did you run out of this kind of, kind of a sausage? And I explain yeah. to them, well, I had to book a cow in for slaughter two weeks ago. I had to age it two weeks. And then I had to butcher it down. It takes about two hours that I had to grind it. And I had to use every part of the cow for different things. I didn't have enough of the part that I need for sausages. Didn't have enough for it this week. Next week, it's on, it's on next week's schedule to do. When the next cow comes in, we'll see if it looks right. And if there's enough for that part to use, we will do it then. And a lot of people are learning and seeing to respect the animal and respect nature and respect the farmer because everything takes time. Nothing is done overnight. And I believe when you respect the animal, I don't, you know, it's going to taste so much better when the animal is treated better, when it's treated with respect, we are after all raising these animals for us to enjoy, for us to eat and to be nourished from them. We have to respect them. We can't just, shove them in a pen we can't just you know stun them like they do in the big abattoirs we can't do that it's disrespectful to these creatures they were born they were raised for us to enjoy they have to be respected from the time the mother gets pregnant right through to when they um right through to when we put them on our plate to eat them and i firmly believe that yeah i love what you said once about one of the farmers i don't know if it's the same Jeff, that you mentioned that he would only take a calf away to make veal only if it had been abandoned by the herd. So it's a different farmer. So, I, that, so it's funny because people always ask me, why don't I have veal? Everyone yeah. has veal. Everyone, why don't I have veal? So I try to explain to them the veal industry is primarily male cows that are born in a milk herd. So uh, a... So a yeah. A cow that gives that has, that gives milk. So you're looking at like the Jerseys, the Holsteins, um, the Guernseys, animal uh, cows like that. The breeds that give milk for us to uh, um, for us to for us to drink milk. When they give when they have a male, they're usually sent off for veal because they can't be used in the milk process. So, mm-hmm. but when they, when they have a female, they usually then rebreed it into the herd to give milk again. But the only way that I can get veal is getting it from a farmer that does grass-fed. Now, a veal is not typically grass-fed unless you do get what's called rosé. So it's on grass and the mother's milk from the time it's born. Right. So it's right away on, on its mother's milk, and then it, then it starts eating grass. And throughout the summer, it continues that way. But I get my veal from Harley Farms. And Harley Farms, um, James over there, will not will not give me an animal unless it's been, as you said, you know, rejected by the herd. Um, and only once it's been off its mother's milk. So it has to naturally be weaned off. 
because oh. the mother the mother worries about the baby, and that's not fair to the mother. Why do you want to give the mother stress? There's a connection the mother has to her child, both animal and human. We all have that connect. We have that connection to our children. So why would we rip a rip a child away from its mother? And that's why I'm so against the veal industry. And the only reason why I'll, why I'll, I will take veal from this from this farmer is because I know I'll only get one or two a year. So out of the almost hundred or so animals that are born, he has only one or two a year that I can actually get. Wow. Respectful. So I'm curious, do you know if um, Sheldon Creek Farms, if they allow the mother and the calf to stay together? Um, with them, nursing? both mother and calf stayed together for quite a while. For, they do. Uh, so when I went to visit them, I don't, they, of course, they're a dairy farms. So I don't think they don't stay together that long because they still need to have, they, they still need the milk for production. Mm -hmm. But I'll tell you, Sheldon Creek is the most humane farm, dairy farm. I've ever seen mm -hmm. people, people, you know, talk, you know, ill of the, of the dairy industry. And I would say you haven't seen Sheldon Creek because yeah. what they do is completely different. Um, when I went to visit them, so I've been buying from them for about a year and a half. And I started buying from February last year, uh, 2019. And I, ha and I went to go visit the farm and really before I even bought from them, I wanted to go see it. And I remember see it going there on the family day long weekend in February. And they gave me a full tour of the farm, including three cows that were about to give birth. <laughs> and they were showing me why they keep the animals together, why they keep the mother and the baby together for a little bit of time and more than usual, more than most. And they do believe in, in keeping in, in, you know, really, they, be, they really believe in animal welfare and they, they practice what they preach and you can taste it in the milk. You like can you taste yep. it. Um, they, it's funny. They, they, they joke, they call it, they call their, um, their, their, their uh, milking line, the Tim Hortons line because the cows line up. They know to line up to get milk. They don't put them <laughs> in a, round, a big round circle. The cows just know when they're ready. And they walk up to a machine and the machine scans it. The, the machine then from, the, from, the, uh, you know, from the, the GPS around the cow's neck, it knows what the animal is. It knows where the udders are. It cleans it because it, it, um, it knows exactly how to clean that animal. It's all programmed. And it, it's, a, it's just an amazing thing. The animal then just walks off and continues, goes back to eating and uh, relaxing. And it's, it's amazing to see these animals. And it was funny because I was there. One of the cows tried butting the line. And the other one, <laughs> it was so funny. They would, the other ones wouldn't, wouldn't do it. And the cow eventually just walked to the back of the line. <laughs> it, was, it was honestly, it was the funniest thing to see. Wow. We've, I've been, I went to pick up once directly from them, some dairy. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, just the whole feel of the place, the feel of the people working there. Um, I had actually been to a farm to look for some raw milk um, when we were first, first looking to go back to dairy after being vegan for so many years. And I just had a bad feel from the farm. Um, <laughs> the way that he talked about his cows, the way that he said that the babies were separated, like pretty much right away. Uh, he talked about them like they were products um, rather than living beings. And it, I tasted the milk. I didn't really like it. And I was just completely turned off. But Sheldon Creek, it was amazing. It was like the first time I had it, my body was like, yes, this is yeah. going to be very nourishing. And we have been continuing to buy it. And I'm not someone often who like goes back to the same produce because I always just find something I don't like. And this has been, it's almost coming up on a year that we are regularly yeah. buying Sheldon Creek milk. And people are so against dairy, but this milk has been so healing for our family. I'm hundred percent sure of it. And I think we can't judge dairy until we've had real dairy. Exactly. And I firmly believe that I firmly believe that Sheldon Creek really is the best of the best at what they do. They, they don't, they don't treat their, their animals like commodity. They treat the animals like family. Mm -hmm. And that's the thing. If it, like, I, I highly encourage anybody that's listening. I know it's after, after uh, COVID is, is done they, I, they used to do um, farm tours. Mm -hmm. 
And I, I know they stopped it because of COVID. But when this when COVID is finished, I highly recommend people go check them out because they're they're absolutely amazing. They're absolutely amazing. And it's just it's it's so beautiful. I, I really think that like when I when I look at the animals, I, I don't see them as I don't see them as commodities. I see them as beautiful beings. I'll tell you, uh, uh, a few weeks ago, I went to, I took my kids uh, strawberry picking and I went up to Uxbridge because I had to go visit the bison farmer. But I knew that one of the pastures where my beef was, um, was, uh, was on pasture was nearby, about 20 minutes away. So I called up Jeff Arnold and I said to him, can I come see, can I come see you and hang out with you for a little bit with my family and my kids? I want my kids to, to see the cows. Cause they, they've been up with me to the farms to other farms before. Um, and they love it. They absolutely love it. And uh, so he went up to the farm. He says to me, uh, so I said, he, I said to him, what are you doing today? He says to me, well, I had a, a, a mother give birth, but because I'm not there for any of the, of the work, which is, which is a beautiful thing because he's not, he's not, he's not breeding cattle for money. Mm. He's letting cattle take their, do their natural. He's letting the animals do their natural thing that they do. Certain times. So does he actually have a bull that he has goes with bulls. the cow? Yeah, he's got lots of bulls with the cows and they and whoever does, they do what they do. He doesn't rent. That's bulls. amazing. So he's not inseminating them like no. pretty much raping the cows. That's and that's how I feel about it. So he's letting them do what they want on their own. And so there wow. was uh, yes, there's a I'm gonna cry. I didn't even think there were farmers doing that. <laughs> that but that's what's amazing about what he does. Right, so he has uh, yeah. this um, a Dexter breed, a, a cow, that ended up in his herd somehow, um, and it was bred by a Simenthal. So Dexter is a smaller cow. Usually, you're looking at about, you know, thousand pounds live, a little bit, a little bit less than a thousand pounds live. Whereas, a, whereas a Simenthal is usually over a thousand pounds. They're big cows, and mm-hmm. the Simenthal bull bred the Dexter, the Dexter cow. And it was a, because a very small one bred to a very big cow when the cow, when her calf was born, um, twisted some of the nerves in her opening because it was a bigger cow coming mm. smaller entryway. So it, was a, so it was a little bit more, so it was painful for the cow. And when he, when he found the cow in the morning, um, she was in a lot of pain. So he's been nursing her to health, like naturally and, and, slowly slowly doing it like literally doing it as natural as possible and slowly teaching her to walk again and slowly teaching her to um you know to get up but she didn't but she rejected her calf because she didn't really mm-hmm. get to spend time with it because she was in so much pain when she was bo- when when the calf was born so he asked me if i wanted to but the cow had to get milk the calf had to get get fed so he asked me if i wanted to feed the cow i said sure he's like let's go over he says, you know, you have to talk to the cow and you have to tell it that everything's going to be okay. And you're just here to feed her child. So I'm milking the cow with him and I'm, you know, I'm petting her on her head. I'm talking to her and, you know, my, my kids are wondering what I'm doing and I'm explaining to them why I'm doing it this way, because you don't look at it as a commodity. You look at it as a living being that you have to respect. So mm-hmm. fill up a bottle with milk and then he brings me over to the barn where he had the, them separated um, and he, uh, and he, he picked her up and he picked up the, the, the calf and he said, okay, now you want, you can milk it. You can, sorry, you can feed it. So I said, okay, fine. So I'm feeding this calf, holding this, this two day old calf. Um, and it's the most amazing thing it on it. I, I know this may sound bad, but it honestly reminded me of when like, like holding my kids, I'm like, mm-hmm. you just love this thing and you just want to, and you want to take care of it. And, and I'm talking to it and I'm, and I'm like, I'm like rubbing its neck and it's in, in it's in its head. And I'm like telling, you know, it's from your mother and it's all good. Don't worry. Another couple of days, you'll be able to, you'll be able to drink from your mother directly. She just needs to get up and, you know, she needs to, you know, she needs to get to know you a little bit better and, you know, almost like reintroduce her to her baby. Um, mm-hmm. And it's just an amazing, it's an amazing feeling. Um, and it just, but you see like the, the care and love that you give these animals. I think it's important. I think people need to know where our food comes from and you have to respect them. So then I have to ask as a butcher, how do you feel afterwards, like cutting up the dead animal? I feel like. I feel honored. Mm. And the reason why, and, and, and what I do is I'm respecting the animal and I'm giving it the utmost respect by using nose to, by doing it nose to tail. A cow isn't born 
you don't, you don't, you don't, you can't just make strip loins and ribeyes and tenderloins like what you see in the grocery store. There's a whole animal there. You can't just grind it up for 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 burger meat and stuff like that, and or just throw it on a you know on, on a on a fast food chain's uh, menu. You have there's so many parts of it, and the only way to show it the most respect is by doing complete nose to tail butchery from the tongue and cheeks right down to the tail. And every part of it gets used. Every single part. The bones I turn into broth. The trim I make into I make into um, I make I make it like for for grinding for burgers and sausages. And any of the even the collagen, even the elastin, the parts that cannot be ground, I use them for dog food. So at least it gets used mm. again for all the all my customers that eat that, that feed their uh, pets raw a raw food diet, a raw meat diet. So the only way to really respect an animal, I, I firmly believe, is by butchering it nose to tail and throwing nothing out. And in conventional industry, what do they do? Well, the bones usually end up going to lipstick and other, you know, cosmetic, uh, cosmetic uh, things. The the, the 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 hides are typically sold back, sold to Asia to be uh, to be used, and they're shipped across the world. Um, like the is that because the, people here don't want to use cow hides, but they're they're worth. It's very hard. There's countries. not many batteries anymore here in Canada. That's the problem, and so it's a commodity. Oh, I see. Yeah. yeah. So they send it back to a lot of stuff is sent back to Asia when you get the, the bones they're all they're all you know crushed into you know shampoos and 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 lipstick and and nail polish and all this stuff so there's a big push for not using animal products in in um, in in, uh, in you know in cosmetics in cosmetics yeah but like I, I you know what it's it, it, it's heartbreaking to see the the cruelty that's given that's done to the animals in conventional farming you know i understand there's a need for it because there's you know so many people to feed and there you have to you know you have to you have to feed the masses but i don't agree with it at all i don't i don't agree with with, with that with that mentality and when you see more and more monopolies happening in the food industry and the bigger companies keep gobbling up the smaller companies and yeah. they're streamlining more and more. And, you know, it's funny. People think that when you go to a high-end grocery store, you're getting a better steak than when you go to the no-name grocery store. And I tell people, that's a joke. It's coming from the same plant. Like Cargill and JBS are the biggest. Cargill, I think, feeds 70% of, Can does 70 of Canada's meat. You know, when one plant is slaughtering four, four to six thousand head of cattle a day, there's no way oh to check, check for for cleanliness. There's no way to check for all these things. That's why there's so many problems in the food industry of of recalls, and there's no way the animals are being treated properly. They're being trucked in 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 heat and and in the freezing cold, and they 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 have they have to live. They have to be given a, a purpose, and if you just treat them like like garbage, then it's a, it's a horrible way to treat something that uh, to treat a living being. Mm -hmm. I'm so, it, it bothers me so much. I, I you know what I did a, uh, I did a, um, a comment, a post once on Facebook that upset the vegan community. And it is what it is. And I have to do about it. But the head of the vegan society in Toronto called me up and says, you need to, you need to take that post down. And I said, why? It's really, I said that it's not an offensive post. It's, an, it's a post that makes you think. I want you to think about what the food industry is and say, no, I'm not going to be a part of this mainstream food industry that is totally okay with animal cruelty, totally okay with, 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 with monopolizing things and price gouging and, you know, and, and taking your hard-earned money all for just a name, for a term, for a word, just to trick you into thinking you're getting something better. And mm -hmm. I'll tell you what, I'll believe you if you come down to a certain slaughterhouse in Toronto. So I said to her, no. She goes, well, then clearly you're a coward. I said, no, I I'm not a coward. I don't buy anything from that slaughterhouse. So she goes to me, well, why? I said, because they don't treat the animals well. She says, well, what do you mean? I said, they're trucked in there, sitting outside in these trucks for hours. You can't do that to an animal. You cannot do that to an animal. It's still a living being. I get that you're going to slaughter it for, for us to eat, but you cannot while it's alive. 
You have to yeah. treat it with respect. It's still a living being. And she was floored that I even said that. And so she actually ended up commenting on my post saying, telling all the, the telling the vegans in Toronto to, to stop harassing me because she said he may be a butcher, but if I ate meat, he's the only place I'd eat it from. Yeah. At least he respects the animals. And that's really, really what it, what it, uh, you know, what it comes down to. You have to respect everything we touch, whether we, you know, whether it's the animals, whether it's the lettuce, whether it's the, uh, you know, the olive oil, the wine, you know, the, the grapes that we're pressing, you have to respect it because all it's all living beings. Someone took the time to, to, to plant, to take care of it, you know, to, to raise it from birth and you have to respect it. Yeah. So are you finding consumers who understand that? How, like, I guess what I realized coming up here was that the butcher was saying that there was no one really asking for it or willing to pay for it. And, and they, they said it didn't taste good. And so for him, it, he didn't carry anything grass fed, anything. Well, it was grain finished, quote unquote, grass fed, um, anything organic. And I thought to myself, man, I guess people around here don't care enough to create the demand for it. It depends. So what do you see? I, I honestly have a very big demand for what I do. But the biggest thing is people, people are looking for healthier alternatives, whether it's because they got sick or whether it's because they want to change their life around, you know, whether you're on the keto diet, the carnivore diet, you know, or, you know, mm, pills yeah. get cancer. And it's funny, a lot of doctors are saying only you should only be eating grass fed. Because if you're, yeah. if you're a cancer patient, uh, you should only be eating grass-fed meat. It's the cleanest meat there is. Um, and when you're educated on how to cook it, when you're educated on what to expect, and you want to listen to, what, to everything and you care about it, that's the, that, those are people that, 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 that have been coming to the store. And people, I get people from all over Ontario coming to me. You know, I feel, wow. you know, people say, I'm going back home up to Sudbury, up to Windsor. I'm going to stock up and take it back with me. I have a, I have a customer yeah, that comes every, yeah, <laughs> every two weeks from Hamilton to stock up. That's yeah. from Bolton. I was coming from, from, from uh, Bradford coming out over here because they want, they, they know what I sell and they'd rather make the trip and get the better product than buy something that's labeled grass fed where they don't know where it's from and, you know, or something like that. Um, and they know, and they know I, I, I proudly display where the farmers are. Because I want mm -hmm. everyone to be able to call them up and say, is it true you could have got a 583-pound cow this week? Because if they say no, I'm in trouble. Right? Yeah, so tell me about that. Tell me, uh, remember what happened with the bison and that they, the company you were buying from was basically lying to you? Yes, yeah, so I was buying bison from a, from a, a, a meat supplier here in, uh, in Toronto who said they were getting their bison from Thunder Ridge Bison in, in Uxbridge. And I got a delivery and I, it, it seemed weird, but I, I was like, okay, fine. You know, it's, it's there. If they're, you know, I, I called them and they said they were exactly what they said they were. So I believed it. And then I said to myself after that time, I said, you know, I, I went through about 40 pounds of bison. You know, I'm going to call them up and buy direct. Like if they've got all this bison and they're supplying these big mm -hmm. buyers. And so I called up the, I called up uh, uh, Brian at, uh, Brian Arnold at, uh, at um, Thunder Ridge Bison. And I said to him, um, you know, I've been buying your bison for a while from so-and-so, um, but I want to buy direct. I buy, I go to a lot of bison. I want to even buy a whole bison if possible. He goes, where are you buying it from? And I told him, he says, I have never sold bison to these guys. Keep in mind, this guy's a cop too. Like he's a York region police officer. So he ain't going to lie to me. Uh -huh. <laughs> so, I said, so he says to me, so he says to me, well, I, I'm I'm only going to sell to you if you come to the farm. I said, well, I won't buy from you unless I come to, unless you let me come to the farm because I thought I was buying from you and clearly I was duped. Um, and I yes. gave the company. I actually called out the company on it and I wrote them and I said to them, if I find out that you're that, that you're re, that you're telling people that it's coming from this company again, I'm going to publicly prove you wrong and discredit you because what you're doing is lying and besmirching somebody. Um, and so I go up to the farm, we're talking and I'm tired. Brian, he says to me, by the way, I want you to know, he says the first time I feel like he's like, it happens all the time. He's like, he's one of the few bison farmers 
in Ontario. Yes. Mm-hmm. Happens all the time. So he actually went, he took his wife for an anniversary dinner to the CN Tower. He's going up in the, uh, in the to their, their uh, restaurant, their revolving restaurant there. And he sees on the, on the menu, bison steak. See, the Ontario bison steak. Now, keep in mind, Brian also sits on, he's the head of the board for the Bison uh, Society in Ontario. <laughs> so he says, he, he calls the waiter over and says, hey, do you have, uh, do you ha- uh, where's the bison from? He goes, uh, you know, it's from Ontario. He says, where? I don't know, I'll go check it out. So he, go, he comes back, he says to me, he says to him, he says, oh, it's, it's coming from this place called Thunder Ridge Bison. So Brian says, no, it isn't. And I says, that's what the chef told me. He says, no, it isn't. So the chef told me. Chef comes out. He says, what's the problem? He says, I, where do you get the bison? He says, Thunder Ridge Bison. He goes, no, you don't. And the guy says, what are you talking about? Yes, I do. He says, I own Thunder Ridge Bison, and I have never sold you a, a, a you know, a, a, like, a, like, a, like a gram of bison even. So don't tell me you got it for me and stop advertising that you got it for me because this is not my bison. So imagine that one. <laughs> That's crazy. So that's happening. It, it's just happening all the time, probably way more than people think. Oh, it happened behind the scenes. So much when I when I was when I was uh, when when I first started selling um, grass fed meat, one hundred percent grass fed meat. There was nobody, nobody around me selling it. And then w- within, I remember I I started selling in August, uh, uh, you know, uh, twenty seventeen. By May twenty eighteen, every single butcher in like in a twenty kilometer radius of me was selling grass-fed meat. And I said, there's no way they're selling grass-fed meat. So I call one up and I say, hey, you know, I'm looking for grass-fed meat. Oh, yeah, yeah, we have. Where is it from? It's from it's from this place, you know, from a place in PEI. So I knew the guy who was bringing it in from PEI, and I recorded all these conversations. So I called mm-hmm. the guy and I said, hey, are you bringing grass-fed from PEI? I says, well, you know, technically, uh, you know, it's finished on other stuff, but technically it's grass-fed and I'm selling it because you won't buy it from me. And people are buying it and people, you know, and I'm selling it to everybody else around you and everyone's calling it grass fed and keep in mind, they're also selling it for more money than I am, like more expensive. Than you're even selling it. Yes. So I send an email to the controller of Atlantic beef, uh, beef packers who were where it's all originating from. And I say, are you selling any grass fed meat? And the guy writes me an email back and says to me, no, we don't sell grass fed meat. It's all finished on. Mm. So the next person and said to me, well, I'm buying, I, I buy grass fed meat from the butcher, you know, at so-and-so and this butcher. I say, they're not selling grass fed meat. And they, at the time it was making me so upset that people were being duped that I publicly posted that if anyone was selling grass fed, anyone can prove that they were selling that another butcher shop was selling organic grass fed, like hundred percent grass fed, home fire free meat within a 20 kilometer radius from me, I would give them a hundred bucks. To this day, I have not given a hundred, I haven't paid out a penny yet. So I'm still the only butcher shop that's only selling hundred percent grass fed hormone antibiotic free meat on real organic land, not on the organic stuff that's, 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 uh, you know, that's labeled organic. And in reality, it's just it, the, the cows walk through a property that's certified organic. Have a real no sprays, no pesticides, natural growing grass, the real stuff. And I'm selling it at better prices than the grocery stores now are selling regular meat. That's crazy. Yeah. It's such a ripoff. So, like, just thinking of one thing I think all the time is about the cost of food and the cost of real food. And when I started going on all organic, I was realizing everything was so expensive. And on top of it, we were trying to be raw vegan and just buying like so much organic produce. Mm-hmm. And it was costing us so much money. And I was like, how are people supposed to afford this? And I'm realizing that it might not be as expensive as it's showing up in the store. It doesn't have to be that expensive for everyone to make a decent living. It does you know, around it and for people to actually be able to afford it. So it's just like there's a game behind all this that is nasty. And we just, as consumers who want to be aware and choose the right thing, we can find a way to go around the whole game. I feel it's, you know what? It's very it's like true. Legal. I'll tell you, it's funny because it brings us full circle to the, to the beginning of the conversation where you said, where you asked me about terms and, and labels. And when people post, when, when companies write all natural and organic and this, that, and the yeah. other, and in reality, 
it's costing you more money for no reason. If you knew where your food was coming from, you would never buy organic in the grocery store. Right, exactly. Right? Yeah. And the question mm-hmm. is, if you know where your food is coming from, do you need to buy organic in the grocery store? Because no. you'll realize that the organic strawberries in December are the same strawberries that is essentially the same thing. Is is uh, It's all being done the same way. And organic is still allowed to spray pesticides and still allowed to spray herbicides as long as there's no chemical, as long as there's no natural version of it. So if there's a chemical that doesn't, that, that there's no, there's no natural version of it, you can still spray that chemical and still call it organic. People assume, people think, people are educated to think that organic means all natural, no sprays. But in reality, no, if, you, if you search what the organic society is and, and under the USDA organics, you're allowed to spray pesticides. So why would you spend money on a fruit in uh, on an organic strawberry in December, and spend seven, eight, nine, ninety nine a pint, when strawberries yeah. don't grow don't grow in December in Ontario? And that's why we as vegans ended up going back to more meat and dairy products, especially in the winter, because it felt it made more sense. It was more natural. It was mm-hmm. cleaner to eat that kind of food in the winter months when we don't have local, like true organic produce. Exactly. Um, and, and then, you know, the food doesn't have to travel so far and yada, yada, yada. It just goes on and on and on. And I didn't actually know that about the chemicals and the natural equivalent that blows oh, yeah. my mind, but I came across it with apple farming yep. and, uh, and going to different visit different apple farms in the area and going to visit an an organic apple farm and after eating their apples my liver was not happy like it was just (laughs) I felt gross and I had to give them away Um, these were supposed to be organic apples and I didn't like them and then later that oh then the next year my friend said she discovered from another friend (laughs) that they were spraying their apples at the wrong time so in order to be considered organic, it had to be sprayed like on the flower or something, Yeah. Um, not on the actual fruit and that this farm was doing it on the fruit. So they were uh, going around, you know, cutting corners and, uh, but you, but you spent more money. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> right. And, that, yes. and that's the problem. Yes. yes. And that's why I tell yes. people know where your food is coming from. It's funny. I did. I did a. I did an interview on um, on uh, CFRB on uh, News Talk Ten Ten. Uh, it's now a couple of years ago when the bit when the, the fake meat um, started getting big, and they said to me, "I'll never yes. forget the question." And I actually have the interview posted on my website, where the the, the the interviewer said to me, "You know, it's a real a little weird to ask a butcher to give me their opinion on." on on you know on the fake meat process because you're biased and i said no i'm for eating healthy it's not about you know meat versus vegan there's something to be said for both diets um i'm not gonna get in you know the the political part of of being you know of of a vegan diet versus carnivore diet or keto diet um that's not that's not the point of this discussion but i believe in eating healthy so if you're going to be a vegan, then eat healthy. Eat the raw vegetables. Don't eat prepared foods. Don't eat the processed foods. Know where your food is coming from. And if you're going to be a meat eater, don't touch the processed meat with a 10-foot pole. Right? And it's so expensive. <laughs> and it's so expensive. And you think you're buying something better, but you're not. No, you're not. And that's the problem. People think people people want to believe that they're that they're they're buying something better because it says organic on it, but it's not always the case, unfortunately. And it's so heartbreaking when you know I say to people, "Why would you buy a chicken breast for seventeen dollars a pound when you can buy it in my store for twelve, and it's the same exact thing? You're literally paying extra for the label. You're paying yeah. more because the grocery store." can charge you more for that chicken breast. There aren't many organic farms, uh, poultry farms in Ontario. So the few that there are, that are selling in the stores, they're also selling to me. And if they're selling it to me, 
why like I don't I don't need to I don't I don't have a boat to pay for. I don't have a cottage to go in the, in the summer. I'm about making making it making a living and feeding people as healthy as possible, you know, and making sure that that there's, you know, that that people can afford it. Because I'm not looking at get to get rich off of people off of hardworking people's backs because of because of the fact that I only sell organic meat. Yeah. Feeding people as health as much healthy food as possible and making it affordable so more people can do it, more people can eat it, and not feel bad about eating, you know, eating organic meat. Because there's, there's a big stigma. There's people like, oh, you need to be rich to eat organic meat, or you you know, I want to, but it's so expensive, mm-hmm. cost prohibitive. And I keep saying, no. Go to the grocery store. Yes, it's cost prohibitive. Stop at your local butcher who's butchering an animal, who's butchering the, the poultry that was slaughtered yesterday, who knows exactly how long it's good for, that didn't, that, that, I, that I didn't um, inject it with water and with salt water. And I didn't um, spray anything on it to keep it, to keep the shelf life for, for three, four weeks. Chicken doesn't have a shelf life for three. It's got a, a, chicken, a shelf life of 10 to 14 days, max. But I know when it was slaughtered. So I know when, how long it's good for. And there's something to be said for, you know, getting to know your butcher and getting to know a butcher that actually cares about where the food is coming from. Because when you care about yeah. it, nothing goes to waste because I think of it as I think, think of it as my own. And that's what, and I, it, yeah. it all goes back to the whole thing of respecting. If you have to respect every part of it, you have to respect, you know, it's funny that there's a chef when I worked in, uh, in Lyon, the chef Jean-Paul Lacombe, he's a Michelin star chef, he's a very, very nice guy. And the guy who has Michelin stars owned seven restaurants. Every day of the week, he would go to a different restaurant to talk to the staff. And I said to him once, I said, why do you go around? You get to know all your staff. Imagine, like, you have to remember it. Because it was funny, because yeah. I was a new, I was a new uh, staff member. He came in on Mondays. And he was a new staff member at this restaurant. And he came in, he met me, introduced himself, and we were talking. And he said to me, where are you from? And I, and I was telling him, so why are you here on your, why are you in France on your own? I explained to him, you know, my wife has lupus, and she's at home. She has to be near the doctors. Um, and the next, like, and, and then, like, the next week, he comes back, asked me how my wife was doing. I said, oh, yeah, you know, she's starting on a new medication. And it was a couple weeks later when he said to me, he said, how's the medication working out? Is she having a reaction like she did the last <laughs> time? Because time, like a couple times before, the, 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 the drugstore had given her the, the, um, the, the not the name brand, the, the knockoff brand, because it's cheaper for the insurance. Yeah. And he remembered. And I said to him, Why do you, how do you remember me? I'm a nobody. I'm like, literally, I'm just a, like a cog in the wheel. You know, I'm one of 20 staff in this restaurant. You've got seven restaurants that are bigger than this. How do you remember? And he said, and he, he said, when you respect your staff and you treat your staff well, they take care of you. He says, mm-hmm. the executive chef or the dishwasher know that every single person, every single person in the chain has a reason to do what they're doing and you can't work without them. So everyone's as important as the person next to you. Everybody has to work together to make that wheel turn. And it's the, it's, it's the lines of, it's, it's, it's what's been instilled in me of respecting people, respecting the food, respecting the animals. Have to respecting the land, respecting the land, respecting our environment, and that's why it's so important. Right when people say to me, "Oh my God, you know, cows are are bringing on global warming," I'm like, <laughs> first of all, they're not. But if you cared about the global warming and you cared about the environment, then eat grass-fed meat from a farmer that does regenerative farming. When the cow, yes, you know, when they when they poop on the ground and then they stomp it into the ground, and then the ants get to eat, and they and the and all the and all the little insects get to eat on the on, on all that manure, and then it gets pushed into the land, and then it, and you know and then it grows amazing grass the next year for the cow to eat, and then it continues. You know, it's funny. I, I, I um a great example is of, is of Thunder Ridge Bison, where when when Brian bought Brian Michelle bought the land, there was a big part that they now that the the cat that the uh, bison sit mostly in the winter it's near their it's actually near their house house on the property that he said when he bought it it was all it was a gravel it was a gravel parking lot and just to see if regenerative farming worked he let the bison walk there 
for, for, for a year. And he said, in the next year, it's just started growing through the gravel. That's incredible. Look at it now. We've got trees. We've got shade for them now. And he says, it was all done naturally. He says, I did not intervene. I let the bison wow. walk. I let the bison do their business. They did whatever they wanted there. They walked and they, re- and they brought this, this property back to life. A, a, you know, a part of it was rejected. He says, it brought it back. He said, what this, what this is doing for the environment. The natural grass, the trees that are growing. He says, this is amazing. And when you do, that's why I'm, a, I'm such a big believer in regenerative farming because it's really, it is so important to respect the environment. And the only way to do it is by allowing the animals to roam free. Mm-hmm. Is by working as a team with it's, all of nature. Exactly. Really. It's cooperation. Let, yeah. Let everything live in harmony together and as, and, and as one. Every single part, like the, the ants do their part, the birds do their part, the, the, you know, the wild rabbits do their part, the cows doing its part. Every single animal is doing its part of nature to keep this earth as clean and beautiful as it should be. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> That's exactly how I feel. <laughs> and I was, I even saw a study, oh, cause I've been reading a little bit into regenerative farming and all of these regenerative holistic farms have animals on them as part of the process, because it just works that much better when you bring the animals into it. And if you try to have a vegan farm, um, Actually, I knew some vegan farmers in Quebec and they still had animals on their land because it still made the farm better. They just didn't kill them to eat them after or they followed really strict kind of vegan rules around it. Yeah. Um, But I saw this one study in the States that they were showing that because the whole theory that cows cause greenhouse gases and are, um, you know, giving off so much methane. Uh, they showed that on a regenerative farm where cows have proper pasture and proper space, that they were part of actually um, removing carbon from the atmosphere on this farm. And that a regenerative farm, even with cattle, was um, a carbon sink, which makes so much sense. You know, it can be so easy to just blame the cows, but it's ridiculous now that I think it. And that's what's really beautiful about it is that they're, they're, we're using the animals to rejuvenate our planet yeah you know, when done properly exactly <sighs> yeah it's so nice to meet other people who are actually working towards this so Yehuda I'm we are as a family so so grateful for you and I'm sure our community is so grateful for you and uh, I can't wait to share this with people so where can they find you if they're they're looking for you and for good meat I you know I tell people Google us, Brothers Butcher Shop. It's spelled S-H-O-P-P-E dot com. Uh, find us on Instagram, on Facebook, at Brothers Butcher Shop. Uh, we're all over the place. We, we, we really try our hardest to, to share the passion and to share what we do. Um, because the more people that know about us, the more people can eat healthier. So check mm-hmm. us out online, brothersbutchershop.com. Um, and again, follow us on social media. It's the best way to see what we're doing because we do live videos of everything that we do. Yes. And I love that you show live videos of you visiting the farms. Yeah. Because you can't alter a live video. Pardon? You can't alter a live video when you're right there. No. You show people exactly this is, you know, I'm going, I'm checking up on the farm. I'm making sure that it's all being done properly. And it makes a, it makes a big difference. Thank you for listening and being with us today. Until next time, have a beautiful day.